This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Net minus. As far as is, uh, human happiness in uh, spirituality and uh, relationships between people, uh, I, I, I definitely, I have the, I have enough years behind me to compare how life was before the internet and how life is after the internet. And like I said, it's almost divided my life in half. And I was definitely a lot more, uh, fulfilled and happier before the internet. I don't think the internet has added, you know, especially in the, in, in the terms of being a musician, because back before the internet, the only thing you could do on a Friday or Saturday night is, is, uh, you know, you, there was nothing else to do, but go out and watch a band. But now there's so many bells and whistles that people get, uh, they get distracted and, and, you know, it's, uh, I started noticing 15, 20 years ago that when people would come out and, and when phones, you know, texting became a thing that they were paying more attention to their, not only to their phone, not only to me, but to each other. I mean, I would see a couple come out, a good looking couple, and they were more interested in their phone than they were themselves, each other. Uh, and of course that left me out in the cold too. I mean, I, I feel like I'm just, glorified wallpaper where I used to actually be an entertainer. Uh, and uh, no, I, I'm not, I, do, I don't have a positive view of the internet overall. I think there's, for learning and for being able to do research, it's excellent, but the overall picture of it, I, I see as just sort of a dark, uh, it's a tool used by uh, very dark forces, elite forces in this world. And uh, that's, but you know, I, I'm sure that people that are younger than me that were born and sort of incubated in, in this technology age uh, would see it differently. They don't have that uh, reference. Uh, you know, they can't compare like I can, or someone my age can. That makes any sense. Oh no, it does, Dan. I mean, I'm I'm 41, and like I said, I straddled straddled the line. I think internet didn't hit homes in the form of let's say AOL dial-up until 95, 96. So I graduated high school in 99. Now my mother was in telecommunications most of my life. She had worked for Comcast, AT and T. She was on the startup team of that first uh, voice over the internet protocol, Vonage. Do 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 do. So we had the internet in our house probably 95 as AOL dial up. You put the CD-ROM in the computer and then it would dial up 
beep, 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 beep. And so my mom was, I just saw her over Thanksgiving and she was telling me, she goes, you know, as much as I was in the telecom world and we got this first, she's like, you and your sister were never into it. Like you didn't care about it at all until you realized that you could go on the internet back then when it was all sort of brand new. And actually research, I was into creative things. I, I like to do monster makeup and I made puppets and stuff like that. And she goes, and you would find little blogs, the original version of blogs to do research. It was kind of like going to the library for you. And that's sort of how I still look at it today. But to me, one of the big things I look at from a political perspective and from sort of a worldview perspective is we talk about it like you just named the positives and I named the positives and the positives to us are using it as sort of a giant endless encyclopedia. But before the internet, there was really no globalism at the level that it is now. You have people that go on Facebook all day. They're just sitting there. Those are like the people you're talking about that are hanging out at the bar with their girlfriend or their wife or their family. And they're all sitting there at the table looking on their phones. Uh, they're sitting at dinner together with three kids, a wife and a husband. They're all on phones, not even talking to each other. So you're scrolling your Facebook feed and you're in, uh, let's say, Houston, Texas at dinner and you're getting all upset over some guy who was hit in the head with a frying pan by a cop in uganda right first off we don't even know if that's real or that's just propaganda and it's just placed into this personalized feedback loop echo chamber choose your own adventure that they create for you to keep you engaged in the system uh, and why are you worried about a guy who got hit in the head with a frying pan in Uganda anyway, when you should be worried about what your kid is doing right across from you at the dinner table? And so it's same thing has happened with politics. And yes, you'd say to yourself, you and I would not have met without Doug, we wouldn't have met without Maria Espinosa. We wouldn't have met without my friend Chrissy Piccolo. Uh, we wouldn't have met without the internet. But at the same time, not to say I'm not glad I met you, but at the same time, if we lived in sort of a smaller footprint, would we really have had to met? We met over horrible circumstances. We met because of terrible things that happened to your son. We met because we were both fighting an issue that we get thrown into fighting uh, illegal immigration and open borders that we would much not rather uh, have to be spending our time worried about stuff like that but if you're back to sort of a smaller footprint on a local level with no internet you're worried about your community your neighborhood your town maybe you're involved with you know the the planning and zoning or something on a small scale you would have been focused on blocking the un sustainability agendas and things going on in all of our towns and instead we end up on the internet and then we look to the good side we go well at least we could do podcasts or youtube this stuff we're all engineered into doing if I wasn't doing this, I probably would have been forced to try to get a local AM show at a talk radio station here. And I might have had a bigger impact because I'd be talking about my local community to people listening about the local community that care about the local community rather than trying to fight this big global monster that we all end up having to talk about. Do you see it that way, sort of? Yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, uh, but, you know, it is, it's the reality. It's, you know, there's the way you would like it to be, and then there's the way it is. And you, it, 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 if you don't deal with the way it really is, then 
it's never going to be the way you like it to be. The way it is, is the primary source of, uh, you know, dispersion of information is the internet. And that's the primary way of communicating is to the digital world now. And it just is what it is. So you have to, you're in a, we're in a war, we're in a, we're in a battle. And so we have to use those weapons. And, uh, that, that's just, there's no way around it. So it, it just is what it is. So we work with it. Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. You bring that up. It, it just actually triggered in my head because, um, I, okay. So about two episodes ago, I reviewed, I finally got around to it. I reviewed the, uh, world government summit. June 2022 panel discussion on are we ready for a new world order? You brought it up the last time you were on the show, right? And uh, that was the one with Dr. Pippa. Uh, uh, That was the one with Dr. Pippa. So we broke down and analyzed the whole thing. And there was a gentleman on that panel, um, George, I forgot his last name. And he was actually the founder of straffer straffer is that private intelligence network um you may have heard of it before because in one of the wikileaks dumps there was a high-ranking straffer employee who was part of the email chain on barack obama ordering the sixty thousand dollars in hot dogs <laughs> you remember remember all that right yes well, well, as much of a scumbag this Straffer guy is uh, and the stuff they've been involved with, and he's on the panel there talking about the New World Order, he actually says, and I pointed out to the audience, you know, he is delivering a bit of truth, but where he says the one thing about humans is we have nostalgia built into us and sometimes we have this vision of this world of yesteryear that was so great it was some kind of a utopia, but the fact is we live you know, in the moment where we are today. And I just pulled up a quote that I'm going to put on the screen also because I used to study um, Saul Alinsky, the progressive leftist community organizer that I'm actually going to be doing some uh, analysis on soon and showing people his mentality, how that plays into modern technocracy and transhumanism. Yeah, he dedicated uh, Rules for Radicals to Satan, but he actually says here, as an organizer, I start from where the world is, as it is, not as I would like it to be, that we accept the world as it does not in any sense weaken our desire to change it into what we believe it should be. It is necessary to begin where the world is if we are going to change it to what we think it should be. That means working in the system. Now, it's important sometimes to point out the words of these progressives, these socialists, these communists, uh, and the Marxists, because in in my opinion, in the battle that we're in today, uh, these guys, if, if if you're keeping score, these guys obviously are winning the battle today. Like, they have more wins than we have. So sometimes I say to people, you gotta go back and read what these guys talk about, what they say, because they did have a winning strategy. One of the other things that Alinsky had said over the years is he would tell these community organizers he was training that the death of the community organizer is continuing to sit in a room and plan and plan and plan. 
you have to actually get off your ass and go out there and organize and change things. But that's why when you just brought that up, I was thinking, is Dan quoting <laughs> Saul Alinsky over here? Uh, but no, I, I mean, you're right about that. We, we can't have this false it, it's what i call sort of false hope and i keep telling the audience when people keep asking talk radio hosts or podcasters to talk about this kind of stuff for solutions i always try to remind people you can't come up with realistic solutions until you actually understand the problem and like sun Tzu with the art of war would say you have to know your enemy and you have to know yourself and if you don't study the enemy and you look at where this stuff grew out of you look at where it is in present day then you're able to start to predict where it's going in the future and then you could make realistic plans to decide which battles you can wage which things you're actually going to be able to fight which stuff you can't fight but you could figure out how to work around it in your personal life for you and your family what what battles you actually do want to wage which ones are winnable which ones are not and that's why i like to fully understand what's happening where it came from what drives these folks and where they're headed with this and then you can start to make a list of goals that you have and a list of where you realistically are today, just like you would for financial goals in your life and how you're going to get from A to Z. But unless you understand their battle plans and their blueprints and what they're going to do, you can't do that realistically because you can take where you're at today with one thing and say, this is my goal in one year. But they may already have something that's going to cut you off at the pass. You know what I'm saying? And if you don't understand that, you could end up wasting an entire year trying to get to a certain goal that's not achievable in the way that you planned it out. Right, right. Well, that's... Uh, I, I believe that we're in a war. I believe there are a lot of uh, multifaceted thing and it, we have to look at it it's not it, it's not a rabbit hole it's a rabbit canyon <laughs> and uh it there's so many different uh elements involved here and it's coming from so many different sides and what i've been doing lately is i've been researching at trying to look at the origins of this and trying to understand the spiritual dark underbelly of this where it comes from uh, what the mindset is and what is the is the drivers behind this uh and so that's that's something uh that's a, a that in itself is a is a rabbit canyon <laughs> because it there's so many things involved uh but it it does all kind of uh lead to to one to one direction that i well i can see and and this is going back in world history uh but it 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 definitely ventures out into a bunch of different directions and it, it, it's real easy to, to wander into the weeds when you're having this discussion because you're trying to focus on one point but it it overflows into other points and you see what i'm saying it can become very disjointed no, definitely. But let, let's go, let's look at it because what I've done in the last 115 episodes here 
at the dust and gold standard. As far as I've really gone back, I mean, I've talked a little bit about the founding and then changes that were made from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. I've talked a little bit about the Civil War. And then I've really focused heavily on the Progressive Era starting in the late 1800s, because that was a really dark time. That's when the eugenics movement began to grow. We were forced sterilizing people. We were chemically castrating people, locking them away in asylums. Uh, People that this eugenics movement, which grew actually out of the economists of the Ivy League schools, deemed to be unfit. And actually, a lot of people didn't know the history of the minimum wage that grew out of the eugenics economist movement. They created the minimum wage so they could drive certain people out of the workforce then they would be deemed to be unemployable, which would move them into the category unfit, which would then move them into the category feeble-minded, and then it could literally chemically castrate those people. They also were really big on pushing mass immigration. At the same time, they would complain about the immigrants and then use that to be able to start to to push this idea of sterilization (laughs) like they just create the problem to provoke the reaction and then offer the solution which is engineering humans out of existence so the eugenics movement was really dark out of the late 1800s then you had the um, transhumanist movement begin to grow out of that you had technocracy coming out of the same era both of these grew off the back of the panic of 1893 same as that they're doing now they create an economic crisis then you saw more of this grow out of the great depression then you saw more tyranny coming out of the end of world war ii so there's all these different points in history we have where this uh technocracy this system of total control grows out of but when you're looking at the people or the mentality of the people behind this. Let's just start, say, today with modern day. When you have folks like Jared Kushner, who was arguably the most powerful advisor inside of the Trump White House, who now in the last few months has come out and essentially said he's a transhumanist, he'll be the last generation to die or the first generation to live forever. You have folks out there like Peter Thiel that's a huge government contractor, a transhumanist who said that transhumanism and christianity are essentially the same because they both offer eternal life you've got elon musk out there who's a government puppet pushing the Neuralink brain chip and talking about how if people don't put this chip in their head they're going to go extinct you have all these guys out there my question is would you take something let's just look at the world economic forum they're just basically a worldwide chamber of commerce that puts the business guys the so-called private sector together with the public sector sector they're a chamber of commerce of evil and total control and then they're the marketing arm of the technocracy how do you see all these guys that sit at the table i'm talking about at the panel discussions when you have ceos heads of trade unions heads of associations uh politicians bureaucrats professors what do you think actually brings them all together how are they working in sync when you take people on our supposed side that say they want liberty or freedom or natural life we seem to get in an argument after five minutes and can't get along and can't get anywhere what actually what actually drives these folks that sit up there in the point one percent of the power structure in this world well i believe that it's a monolithic ideology that 
you you have to roll history back all the way. It, all roads lead to the cradle of civilization, which is, you know, Mesopotamia and Babylon. I mean, it, it, what you're seeing is a rehash of what's always been a goal, which is world domination, one world order. Uh, this is nothing new. The new world order isn't new. They've always wanted this. This is this is what's represented in in uh babylon you know that was that was the whole thing then if you if you look back at the old bible text about babylon it was an attempt for humans to create uh a godless one world government one world controlling governance and uh of course that ended up uh god stepping in and and destroying that uh you know in the battle tower of babel and uh scattering uh people everywhere and create you know confusing the languages and and that's where nation states began uh and i believe that nation states are a god-ordained thing uh, so what you see now with the modern day uh, uh technocratic totalitarian wannabes they're really essentially just trying to do the same thing that the babylonians were trying to do which is connect the world under a one world government and uh, now they have nifty technology that is giving them uh footholds that they they didn't have 30 years ago and they see a way to uh in this digital world of of, of constructing this civilization that their, their view of, of what utopia might be and uh it it is uh it's there's an occultic sort of gnostic element that uh i, I you know there's there's a million different flavors of uh of, of occult beliefs and you know, you can call it Gnosticism, or you can call it Satanism, or you can call it Luciferianism, or New Age, but it all has a connection. It all has a common denominator. And what I see with, in regards to your question, with all these elite, globalist elite goons that are pushing all this stuff that we're seeing is they have <clears throat> this idea in their head that well, first of all, you know, if you take the term esoteric knowledge or, or occult, what that all that means is hidden knowledge. Now, that right there, the fact that it's hidden is a red flag because that means they don't want everybody to know this. And the reason they don't want everybody to know this is because it gives them a leg up. It's a way of manipulating. It's, a, it's weaponized knowledge, okay? And I see the world elite, the globalist elite, uh, are involved with this type of thinking and this type of ideology, and they view themselves as superior beings, more evolved, more enlightened. Uh, that's where you get the term Illuminati. Uh, and they have their idea of utopia that they can create and uh, unfortunately for us it requires 
a pretty massive uh, calling of the herd because it just uh, 8 billion people on the planet doesn't fit in to their business model or their game plan. <clears throat> and when you consider the things that are happening, um, Dustin, I think from their point of view, they don't view it as they're doing something evil. They almost view it as an act of self-preservation because they know two things are happening. One thing is the fiat currency system, which, by the way, has its roots in Babylonian magical money. Uh, if you read about that, you just have to read about uh, the Babylonian magic, magic money system. Uh, they understand that the fiat currency system has a lifespan, and it's almost at the end of that lifespan. They can't continue to uh, prop it up with quantitative easing and things like that. But they know that's coming to an end. And they also know that with the uh, by bringing AI online and its advancements, that it's going to displace a lot of people. It's going to displace a lot of jobs, and you're going to have a world population that's unemployed. Well, they got a problem, you know, for them to create this utopian society of theirs. They're going to have a lot of what they call useless feeders. Uh, and a lot of chaos uh, with people that their bank accounts and their, their wealth has been wiped out. And they don't have jobs. So you have a lot of discontent and you have a, a major, major liability that they don't want to be, uh, to have to be responsible for because they know it will take them down as well. So in their minds, they, what they're doing is just simply, it's an act of self-preservation. They, they know that if, with all the chaos that this could bring, that it could take them down as well and their families down. And so they are doing things that we see now, like CBDC, they're, they're, uh, they're actually running, a, you know, all over the world, they're running tests, they're running uh, these pilot studies. And that's just for show because they already know what it's going to do. It's already been tested and proven in China, right? So they they uh, are in the process of hurting us into their corral, and they've got various methods, means by doing that. And you see it like the World Economic Forum is very open now. They're they're not trying to hide anything, and that's. That's one that I want to stop there because one of the features that uh, that is involved in occultism is this thing. It's called method of a uh, revelation of method. Or, you know, we we hear the term uh, predictive programming. Well, that's part of uh, their belief system. They do have a code of ethics, and in that code of ethics. They believe in natural law, and they believe in this natural law that you cannot violate people's free will. <clears throat> so they believe that in this concept of consent, and they therefore, by letting us know what they're going to do ahead of time, 
they remove any negative karma that might come back on them. They believe in karma. Uh, that by they can simply say, well, they consented because we let them know ahead of time what we were going to do, and they went along with it. And so that's where all this conditioning and everything else comes in and, and letting us know ahead of time, like you see with Bill Gates, is he did, uh, he, what's this latest documentary of his? It's um, Catastrophic Contagion. Which, yeah, and so and, and you remember the one that he did in 2019, uh, so yeah, they're doing these things, these agents out like uh, Yuval Har Noah Harari. He's coming out, coming right out and saying exactly what they're planning to do. And that's on purpose. Uh, they are, they are conditioning us and they are, they are performing. It's, it's an occult type of practice. That is a, it's basically a way of escaping a karma. Uh, it's, uh, what's, what's the best way I can put this? Well, uh, I, I've, I've explained it, it, in, it the, in the last 115 episodes by the way that you explained it to me over the last few years, you know, since we knew each other. I remember um, I was producing for Douglas Dakota and <laughs> you knew obviously where I stood on illegal immigration and border security, but some of this stuff you were a little nervous in the beginning about talking about. And I said, Oh no, man, we just don't do that on Doug's show. Cause that's his show. And he does a certain type of content, but I've always explained it to people the way you, um, you explained it to me a few years ago. It's sort of their conscience is clear and their karma is intact. If they, if they tell us what they're what they're going to do and we don't revolt against it then it's not their fault it's our fault and because we accepted it with our own free will of course they now send Yuval Noah Harari out there to tell us you have no free will you have no spirit you have no soul those days are over over we can make you do whatever you want you're a useless human we'll give you video games we'll give you drugs and we will put you to sleep you're a hackable animal you are a useless eater i mean that's now they just don't even hide it anymore they literally tell you they don't think of you as anything more than a piece of trash they're just waiting to figure out the best time to exterminate you Yes, it's a karma avoidance system is what it karma is. Karma avoidance, I like that. 